0: It was football's equivalent of Ali and Frazier. Welcome, Glenn.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thanks for referring me to Ali.
0: Oh, the duck won't <laughs> like that, mate.
1: <laughs> no, you won't.
0: No, I don't. Look, he was no schmuck, Frazier. I mean, I think if I had to sort of define them, I think Kerry the footballer was like Ali the yeah, boxer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you might have finished in front uh, in your head-to-head with uh, with the great man.
1: Yeah, I'd like to think so. You'd like to think <laughs> so. You know, so don't you? <laughs>
0: You started at 18 years and 70-odd days, but you'd already played 50-odd games in the Waffle at South Fremantle. Gee, that's amazing when you reflect on that.
1: Yeah, I look, the the Waffle was really important to a lot of us guys uh, that came through the system for the Eagles. Um, and we're proud of our Western Australian heritage. You know, South Fremantle was my club, the Bulldogs. Uh, my two idols were Stephen Michaels and Maurice Rioli. And um, as a young kid watching that, Nine years later, I made my debut yeah. and ran down the race with Maurice Rioli when he came back from Richmond. And he grabbed me and says, lead the boys out the front on my uh, Waffle debut. So wow. that was pretty special for me to play with um, with Madge. And um, from there, it just sowed the seed that I wanted to play, you know, VFL, AFL, footy go to Melbourne. And um, you know, Stan Magro was a big influence on my career. Stan was a man's man, but he was really uh, a hard taskmaster.
0: Did you go to training in your school gear? School yeah, gear I did. Yeah, yeah,
1: well, I was um, yeah still at school, so I used to catch the bus. Year eleven. Year eleven. Yeah. So catch the bus to training. Catch the bus to training and then <laughs> catch it home. So. It's quaint, isn't it? Yeah it, was, yeah, it was good fun. It was good days because you had to be organised. You had to find your way there, and sometimes if you missed the bus, well, you had to hitchhike to training, so <laughs> which wasn't hard. Tell us about the family background. You're of Croatian descent? Yeah. Both sides of the family? Both sides of the family. So, Dad migrated uh, in Australia in 1960. Met Mum the following year and, uh, you know, uh, decided to share farm up in Carnarvon and um, just worked off the land. And me, Gary and Alan grew up on, on the market. Three boys? Yeah, three yep. boys.
0: And, all, and and they all played senior football?
1: All for South Romero, yeah. Yeah. So all I wasn't of aware
0: was. of Gary until some recent research. Yeah, so.
1: so there's 10 years difference between me and Gary, but he was a good... Uh, role model and a, and a mentor for me as a young kid going through high school and then starting to play league footy, because he'd been there. And, um, you know, our, our father passed away when I was pretty young, so I guess he became my father figure. Mm-hmm. So he um, really emphasised on the fact of, you know, getting a job and working, but, you know, he could see my passion for footy, so he just harnessed it a little bit for me, so it was good grounding.
0: You mentioned a bloke called Alan, Alan yeah. Jakovic
1: yeah.
0: You promised me, Jacko, you are going to bring him on with you. I mean, I know you deserve a show in your own right, but <laughs> the, the, the prospect of having the Jakovich brothers here was tantalising, mate.
1: Yeah, well, I, I asked Alan and... Uh, what did he say? He declined, so... Um, I, he just, since he finished footy, he's never really... He never liked the media when he played footy, so no. he's... he's <laughs> he wasn't
0: the Lone Ranger there. No.
1: And um, he just... He was um in an Arum, but he lives uh, in Coffs Harbour and um, he just got on the plane and went back and... It's logistically, he feels it's too hard, too big an effort to do that, so.
0: He was, he was so different to you in so many ways, wasn't he? He was shorter, Ooh. rounder, more flamboyant. You agree with that?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. He was... Uh... And,
0: and more of a showman. I mean, you didn't like confidence, but Alan loved it. It was his stage, wasn't it? He
1: embraced it. He loved it. And I, I must admit, I know it's me brother, but uh, that period in uh, 1991, I think he kicked 71 goals in 13 or 14 games. Um he was, he was a delight to watch. He was just was on fire. He,
0: if you have a Melbourne affection, uh, yeah. we loved him. I mean, that day, look, not many blokes pulled Chris Langford's pants down. Yeah. And one day at Princess Park, he just made Langford look like a, a, an amateur.
1: Yeah, he had some big hauls at Victoria Park. Uh, Gary Pett, I think, kicked nine on him and yeah. kicked uh, 11 at the MCG, including the soccer goal, uh, yeah. which was over the head. So he loved those type of things. He was freakish. Uh, he was a, an enigma on his day. And just sad that he probably didn't play another 100 games. I was going to ask you that. Now, he finishes
0: his career with all these assets that we're talking about. Mm. You play 270-odd. He plays 54. Yeah. Any physical reason for that? Or he just...
1: It wasn't his number one priority in his life, footy. I don't think that... uh, You know, he loved the game, but uh, with that comes training, (laughs) uh,
0: right? Which which you devoured. Yeah, I love training. Yeah.
1: And I I think Alan... um, you know, he just had so much skill and talent, and just wanted to sit in the forward line and kick goals all day, but mm. didn't want to do the three K time trials.
0: Let me take you back, I think, to 1993. Melbourne is hosting West Coast. Yeah. Uh, did Melbourne bring bring your parents over?
1: Brought Mum over.
0: Yeah, you brought your mother over. Yeah. So, so Mum's there watching her yeah. two boys in opposition colours. Yeah, she
1: was a member. She was a, a guest of the, uh, the Melbourne uh, Football Club's yep. luncheon yep. at the MCC. And uh, they presented her with a jumper that had half Melbourne and half yeah. West Coast, which was a, nice. It was a very nice uh, touch by the Melbourne Footy Club. Yeah. And Alan loved this time in Melbourne. On this occasion, he had a he had a blinder at the MCG, kicked six and kicked the last two, and it decided ended, to. It
0: ended. I'm going to, have to be full. Yeah. You, I'll jump in on you. it. It yeah. ended in the most bizarre fashion I've seen in all the time I've been watching football. Player from Melbourne goes to an opponent from the West Coast and kisses him.
1: Yeah.
0: And you happen to be brothers.
1: Yeah, brothers. Yeah. So. <laughs> I've what been did you re- think when that happened? I got very close to snotting him, but I thought... Are you serious or not? Oh, yeah, yeah. You didn't like it? Well, I just didn't think it was, you know... When I look back on it now, you know, I think it was great for the game and it was great for that occasion. But we yeah. lost yeah. at the MCG. He was in our uh, Premiership defence uh, in 93 and we weren't going all that well. Mm-hmm. And um, Mick was, you know, pretty much on the warpath path about our hunger and where yep. we were going.
0: Was there any dialogue? When, when Alan came to you, you wouldn't have been expecting
1: that. Did exchanged words? No, I expected something, because I know what, as you referred to Alan before, as a showman, he he loved that stage. Uh, he loved to hear your goal and tell the world, so... And I, I, I generally think that he, you know, affectionately meant to do that. Mm. That it's his little brother, and uh, he's his gonna, big little brother yeah, he who he's to, just beaten. Yeah, for the first time. <laughs> so, mm. but yeah, it was good for the family. Look, you know, it it's a great good. moment. I mean, I think a good
0: moment. I think, I think moment, the yeah. more reminders we have of that, yeah. it's still real life. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah, we can't have too many of those.
1: We can't have too much no. seriousness. It, it's football serious enough as it is. So,
0: you bl- now that's coming from you. Yeah. We can't be too serious about our footy. Well. <laughs> Your first uh, 122 games, you played in 82 wins, which is almost 70%. Can you believe it? You're a kid playing AFL football at yeah. school. You, get, you join this club that's on the, on the march, becomes a juggernaut. Uh, that's amazing, isn't it? Two championships yeah. along the way and three grand finals.
1: Yeah, it was a fantastic ride, right, Mike. Um, we, I loved it personally. Um, I always wanted to play football in Melbourne, get drafted.
0: Um, you, what Your preference was to come here, was Yeah, it, it
1: was, uh, because I used to watch the winners and I used to be football-hungry and... Um,
0: Back to the Blues?
1: I was a Carlton kid, yeah. yeah. I love Carlton. Um, Kenny Hunter, John Dorritage, all the West Australians you followed. Even, you know, the Cracker Brothers went to North Melbourne, but I just really liked Carlton in the, I guess, late 70s, early 80s with all their success, so... Um, but then getting drafted to the Eagles, you know... Was, so were you thrilled...? Were you... Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah. I got taken as a priority. Uh, draft selection um, with Mitchell White and, uh, you know, the Eagles were up and about. A few of my um, close mates that uh, were good friends with Alan and went to school with Alan, which was John Walsall, Peter Sumich. I really look forward to, you know, playing footy with those guys. And mm. um, then you had the Magnificent Seven, which was Chris Lewis, Scott Waters, you know, Paul Pios and Chris Waterman, he'd uh, thrown there, and Guy McKenna. So... there
0: was some talent, wasn't
1: there They were on the, on the cusp of something special. Yeah. And I thought, I've got to get it. You know, I was... I think I was... Um, smart enough to identify at a young age that it's going to be hard to get in this side, but I'm not going to die wondering because, (laughs) you know, the success is going to come pretty quickly, and uh, and that's what I did.
0: Did you play... Were you ever under 100? I'm not talking about when you were a kid, but sort of when you were a mature footballer, you were about 100 Ks plus? Yeah, 102.
1: Pretty much throughout. Uh, After 92, I probably still was growing it in my first couple of years. And then, you know, two or three years in the gym, um, you know, uh, and a few more pre-seasons, you, that was it. it see so you couldn't pretty much slim down anymore after that. Let's talk about
0: the gym. Mm. The view on the eastern seaboard was that something strange had happened to the West Coast player list in the early 90s. Yeah. There was a lot of cynical uh, discussion here about what you blokes had done.
1: So you're referring to something untoward?
0: Well, well I, mean, I think the genuine belief was that <coughs> you blokes must be doing something outside the rules to have developed... A as rapidly yeah. and as uh, obviously as you
1: did? Well, it's complete nonsense. Um, I guess, as a young club coming through, um, after two or three years of doing uh, some pre-seasons, you're going to get bigger in the bodies. Um, I guess... Cause everyone course... does
0: pre-seasons, Gwen.
1: Yeah, I know, but like uh, Toby who was a captain of Geelong, John Dorotich, um, they, they referred to... He says, how did these guys get so big mm. in a couple of years? Well, we started doing weights three times a week. Uh, and our pre-season's from October, and we were part-time footballers. So we were coming in on a Monday, Tuesday morning at 5am, led by John Walsfold, John Ania, and we were doing these crazy circuits just to get us, you know, big in time. And come Saturday, we were pretty fatigued, because we'd done mm. probably three weight sessions. It wasn't until the dialogue that we had with uh, John Dorotich and... Um... You had a
0: conversation, didn't you, with Dorotich? Yeah, Dora about and he, he
1: said, um, you know, how did these guys get so big? And we said, well, we do weights three times a week.
0: But wouldn't he have said that we do weights at Carlton, too?
1: He says they did it for 10 minutes a week. 10 minutes, yeah, mm. okay. So, weights wasn't a big yeah. uh, priority on there. So, room.
0: in a cumulative sense, how many hours were you doing weights a week?
1: Oh, easy. We would have been doing eight to 10 hours. Eight to
0: 10 hours. Yeah. You mentioned Bairstow and Dorotich as raising this issue with mm. you. I've seen Lee Matthews quoted on this, and I've had Billy Brownless and Paul Couch in that chair yeah. all say the same thing. Mm. Now, they just all just don't understand. Simple as that?
1: I... Yeah, it's just sheer hard work. And we knew that there was a physical element that we were lacking. Every time we played in Perth, we would win. Go to Melbourne, struggle at the MCG, struggle at Waverley because of the big, heavy grounds. It was more congested. Western Australian football was free-flying. And Mick changed that psychic, but we had to get bigger. And um, that took over three years of solid weight, solid pre-seasons. I'm talking high repetitions, heavy okay. weights. And that, that's the reason why we, I guess, um, caught up... We, we went past the competition mm. very quickly on a physical sense.
0: You got offended by that implication about uh, substances, didn't you? Yeah,
1: extremely. You did? Extremely, because oh, after no, our... set, our six, set yeah.
0: the record straight. You remember there was a Fox end-of-season discussion? Yeah. I happened across you... Um, the very genial, amiable Glenn Jakovic and raise your shoe about what it was like as a young bloke coming to this footy club with so many people saying something's got to be wrong yeah. here because they've just got too big. Well, and you then can... you blew up.
1: Yeah, I blew up because you protect your club and you know that that wasn't going on. Um, to add more light to it, after we started to have that success, we were the most drug-tested team in the competition. Really? Yeah. Uh, they were coming from everywhere.
0: So even the agencies? Yeah. Gave well,
1: us I think that was a directive from the the, the AFL at the time, okay. and, and rightfully so. That's what you should do. They're doing their due diligence. If a team's had rapid rise, you know, you're not doing anything untoward. You're just making sure that everyone's playing by the rules. Okay. And um, I probably got drug tested six or seven times in a short period of time, and. Um, all negative tests. So, okay. you know, so I'm pretty proud of that because I prided myself on, you know, doing the right thing all the time, both on and off the footy field.
0: Let's go back to uh, Ali and Fraser. <laughs> My guess is that you played on the duck 15 to 18 times yeah. in your career. Number, roughly?
1: roughly? Uh, I think it was around about that. Okay. 16 or 17
0: I reckon times. you know the answer to this. It's a difficult one, but, I mean, you've always been honest when you're talking about yourself. How, did you, how would you have scored it at the end?
1: Oh, it's pretty close. It would have been.
0: No, you don't mean that. You're, now you're fibbing. Now.
1: It would have been about fourteen-two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He'll be in before we finish this. Yeah, show. I know.
1: No, I I do uh, a couple of events with Wayne every year, uh, so it's a common joke. You yeah. know, That. Um,
0: but I want the real answer. I want your truthful, heartfelt answer here. I just gave it to you. Fourteen-two. Yeah. He'll hate that, mate. <laughs> you uh, you um, never played in the grand final against him, did you? No, just missed Almost out. Almost in, in, yeah, in yeah, ninety-four. So. Ninety-four.
1: I guess uh, that was at the peak of our team. Were you Uh, looking forward to that? I was, because we played uh, our prelims on the same day, as you do, and uh, we were playing Melbourne in Perth at the wake-up, and we got up and won, and I think they were still going. There was still a quarter to go, possibly. Against Geelong? Against Geelong, and I was actually barracking for North. Really? Because I wanted to play on, uh, you know... You're playing on the best player arguably over the last 50 years huh? to play them on grand final day in front of 100,000 people at the MCG.
0: I mean, that's, I'm that's i really fascinated for, by that. You live for that. How did you seduce Wayne Carey into wrestling with you so many times?
1: Yeah, it's interesting how we met. Um, we played them on a Friday night at the MCG. It was 1992. It was the first time we come across each other's path. And um, it was just something it grabbed me straight away. When I came across him, he just had this strut. And mm. the way he moved, I thought, gee, have a look at this guy, you know, he, he <laughs> thinks he's all right. And it's just, he wasn't deliberately doing it, it was just the way he he moved. That's him. It was just him. Yeah. And he was running around everywhere. Um, the ball had gone in the forward line and I was right on his hammer. And um, I just remember tackling him and I drove him into the ground. It was a bad free kick. And um, I've uh, seen the ball there and Wayne was near about where the ball was and... I was probably a little bit reckless and i give him one. Did you? Where did uh, you hit him? I hit him in the head. So, yeah. Punched yeah. him in the head. Because I was frustrated at myself and he yeah. was starting to lip off at me a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> and he was, um, you know, he was calling me slow and, he, you know, you can't keep up and all these type of things. So, it was, you know, it was good banter out there. And uh, when I got up, the umpire blew the whistle and the north faithful behind the goals went berserk. The umpire caught a ball up. It was a deft and free kick, even pushing the back, but he didn't see me slide one in there. So, Wayne's got up running to have a shot on goal. The umpire says the ball up and Wayne's just punched me. Mm. And that's how we met. And uh, the umpire reversed the free kick, 50-metre penalty, and Wayne got reported.
0: Really? Did he so go out?
1: He got a week. Got he got a, got a week, week for game. striking me. So, no. he punched me in the arm. <laughs> I just remember the following year, we played them at the Wacker and they got off to a flying start. They won the first six or seven games. They'd beaten... Collingwood at Victoria Park, they were just on fire, and he was was the best player in the competition right at that point, and he gave me an almighty bath that I'd never had before. He took 15 marks, kicked five, and Mick was very brutal in his assessment, and this was part of the Premiership uh, defence year, 93, where we struggled a little bit, and they celebrated on the ground. Pagan came out fist pumping, and it was very embarrassing to us in front of our home crowd, and as I came off, I copped a a mouthful from the spectators Mm. and uh, I just had a dirty day and uh, when I got in the change rooms, Mick just went through every one of the players as he did, you know, just an honest assessment and a brutal assessment and he got to me and he says, he says, "Uh, Glenn, and he always called me Jack but when I was in trouble, he called (laughs) me Glenn he says, hey Glenn, let me tell you something, see that player out there, Wayne Carey, he's 20 years of age, or 21 years of age, whatever he was at the time, he says, you're going to be playing on him for the next 10 years. He says, uh, he embarrassed you in front of your parents, your family, your friends. (laughs) He says, uh, I've got a hint for you. He says, you learn to beat him or else I'll find someone who can. And that's pretty much where... was pointed, isn't it? That was pointed and uh, I kind of needed that. It hit the nerve? Yeah, I kind of needed that because I kind of thrived on that type of challenge and that opportunity and... um, yeah, it was uh, after that. That's, I guess, where the rivalry started and we, we'd play each other for the next five or six years mm. twice a year because North and West Coast yeah. were quite dominant.
0: Did his ego get in the way? And, he, and by that, I mean, did he make a mistake in trying to be stronger than you when he should have tried to run Yeah, him? that
1: was... I, I think in the early 90s, someone had mentioned that I had a good game against him, I think, in one of the finals and then we had to wait till the following you know season to play on each other again. And the, the media really built it up, you know, as you mentioned it before... And I think because the media was so big over here, kind of got washed away a little bit in Perth. So I didn't have to live and breathe it. And I think he had to go through it a fair bit here. Um, that's just the way I'm looking mm. at it at the time. And um, he wanted to wrestle me because the papers just said that uh, he's too strong for you, Djokovic is too strong mm. for you. And I don't right. think he liked that. And then the, when the runner used to come out and I maybe a won a single contest, the runner would come out and he would just give it back to the runner. And then I knew... I'm in here because So, the runner
0: would a, say, Dennis says... Oh, yeah, Dennis said, yeah. um, you know. Get on your bike. Yeah. And, and he'd, he'd say, tell Dennis... I, he told him to get on <laughs> his bike. So,
1: and it was quite funny, but I had... I must admit, I had good um, support units. I had a guy by the name of John Walsfold talking to Wayne as well, so... Yeah. And he wanted to knock Woosher out, and I said to him, I says, that's a wrong move, mate.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the impact of the loss of Chris Mainwaring in 2007, personally and to the football club?
1: Yeah, it was, it was tragic. It was a lost life of um, one of our most beautiful people that we had at our football club. He was having a few issues personally, which we weren't aware of. And something today that you, we hear about men's health and you speak out when you're struggling with a few things, Chris, fair to say, just bottled it all up, because he was worried about too many other people. He always looked after people uh, too kindly, and when we didn't realise one of our own was struggling. So himself. you're talking
0: about his mental demons, not necessarily a drug no. singly a drug issue? No.
1: Uh, no the, the connotation of drug uh, doesn't sit well with me, because I think it's overplayed because of that factor. With, not saying, With,
0: with many. Yeah, yeah.
1: But what happened on that day... I don't know, we don't know, but we obviously know there was... You know, um, he died of something, Uh, whether it be a drug overdose. Obviously, that's what it was in the the end. Um, I'm not naive either, but, you know, Chris was... uh, uh, Yeah, it was... It it shouldn't have happened.
0: Has your contact with him before that being regular?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah mainly I saw mainly a fair bit because I started working in the media. Um, he was heavily involved with Channel 7 and uh, he was a bit of a mentor for me. And, um, you know, I, I got... I was very close with uh, Manny through my footy and then post-footy with both, you know, uh, him and Rani, his wife, at the time, and, um, you know, his two kids, Zach and Maddie. You know, he, he was a family man. He was everything. You know, he was everything yeah. to a lot of... Um, you know, West Coast Eagles people, supporters in the club. And then, you know, when I got that phone call on the Monday...
0: Who, who, who was the phone call from? Um,
1: I, one of the journalists rang me and uh, he was really rushed on the phone. And, he, and then he hung up. He says, ''Have you heard nothing about Maney? And I go, ''No, no.'' And he says, ''I've got to go, I've got to go.'' And then he hung up the phone. And I've got this, I'm going, ''Something's not right here.'' And uh, I rang Washer. And um, his wife, Georgina, answered the phone and, um, yeah, I knew then when the tone tone of her voice that Maney had passed.
0: Did you, reflecting on that period, did you think he was just a bit depressed?
1: Yeah, I heard he had a few, you know, issues going on and um, he was struggling with his work and um, there was a few other issues going on which, you know... um, yeah, you, you just thought he would get over it.
0: When you're as close as you were to him, and as you are in football clubs, and you're young, you're in your 30s at that time, right? Yeah. How long does it take you to come to terms with that?
1: You don't come to terms with it. You just learn from the lessons of it about checking in with your close family and friends, because uh, it can happen to anyone.
0: Did you cry? Did it? Make, is it
1: is oh, I reg- Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've still got his um, funeral card on my desktop at home. And I look at it and I had a lot of great memories with him. One of my favourites was, uh, which I have, is a, us two kissing the Premiership Cup in yeah. 94. Yeah. And I just thought, what a magic moment that was. Yeah. And um, we had a, a couple of reunions for 20 years of 92, 94. And now we do a toast for him, you know, which is sad. Mm. And, um, tragic. Um, he's, you know, he was a big part of our lives as a person. Not the footballer. He was a, he was a champion footballer, but as a person.
0: I want to take we we'll we stay in this sombre... Yeah. Mood, uh, Ben Cousins' career and life spiralling out of control.
1: Yeah, it's uh, um,
0: it's tragic. Mercifully, it? he's still with us. Yeah, but uh, that must trouble you.
1: It does because you know um, Ben was a, a great footballer. He was a great lad. Uh, he was a cheeky lad, you know, and he was a he was a kind person. He was a, a very grounded person.
0: Did you see this coming? When when oh, when the full extent of this was revealed, were you shocked or not?
1: Not towards the end, no. When he got sacked, obviously, 05, 06, there was, you know, some growing concerns. Um, You could sense in his behaviour. It wasn't the Ben that I knew when he first came to the club nine years earlier. And I guess everyone had an opinion. Uh, You know, the media uh, had a big focus on it in in Perth and obviously from afar. And, you know, the club was in the the midst of, you know, trying to win a premiership. Mm. And, you know, they tried their best. I believe they tried their best to try and help Ben during that period. Um, There was numerous meetings with his father, Brian, and, you know, Ben felt that he didn't have an issue. But, you know, the club gets criticised a lot. But I don't think the people over here realise how much the club try to do um, to help Ben. And then when he went to rehab in America... um, Ian Miller is a close family friend of... uh, of the cousins uh, of Brian, obviously, played footy with him. Um, he's the welfare officer of the West Coast Eagles now and does a lot of good work for the football club. He, uh, he minded Ben right through that period. And he's so, a very good man, Ian Miller. Yeah, yeah. so to, for people to say that the club swept it under the carpet and weren't helping Ben and that it was the club's fault, you know, everyone had an opinion, and that's that's OK. Everyone was quite critical, which is, from outside looking in, that's understandable. Now you've got the National Drug Average doubled mm. in WA for, for ice, and m- my role now being in recruitment, and I see what it does to families, you can't criticise it because you don't understand what the addiction is doing. Mm. And until you research and invest in it, we've got to, you know, we've got to young kid that's in a lot of trouble. Mm.
0: But there's disquiet to a certain level on the eastern seaboard about the 2006 West Coast Premiership win. Yeah. You'd be aware of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, they,
0: yeah. The simple, it's it's simplistic, but I'll, I'll catch it in these terms. Do you believe that that flag win was tainted by the behaviour of the West Coast players?
1: To a certain extent, on face value, yes. What's that mean? Because. Uh, What happened post that? There was a few other incidents, a few other players. There was three or four that were in trouble.
0: Drug-related trouble? Yeah.
1: So, if you want to look at it from that perspective, was it tainted from a small minority? Because we're expected to behave a certain way, as stand-up role models for the community through our football, and I understand that. You've got to embrace that. So, if you get caught for drink driving or if you, you know, get in a fight or something like that, it damages the club, reputation sponsors and so forth. Um, but my question to, I guess, a lot of the people that harp on that, including yourself and another number of other, um, you know, big-name journalists over here in Melbourne, well, if you're going to do that, go go and look at the last 30 Premiership Cups. I'm sure you'll find a few that are tainted in those areas where there was not much media and publicity. That's a know. legitimate response. And I think. That's how you... If you're going to have a crack at our club, mm-hmm. which, you know, gloves off, fair enough, but let's go through the 80s or the 70s mm-hmm. or the 90s, you know? We, fair point. You know? And I've heard things around, around the traps about, oh, did you hear what happened in that club? I don't buy into that, cos, at the end of the day, to win one is bloody hard. And for those 2006 guys, there's about 18 of them. Bo Waters, Dean Cox, Chris Judd, Darren Glass is arguably one of the best people I've met. They're absolutely stand-up citizens and done a lot for that club, post that and pre that. So they deserve to be a Premiership team, which they are.
0: That's a given. We're not disputing that. The only thing I would pick you up on, you, on your own admission, believe there's tainting to a certain level. You said they're your words. And I think three... When you say three or four might be implicated, I think that's a very conservative estimate. I'm thinking seven or
1: eight. No, I disagree with you there. Um, but my disappointment for them through that period, if you want to say that it was tainted, is that group... I never thought I'd see a better midfield than Kemp, Pike, Matera and Mainwaring. Come in Cox, Judd, Cousins yeah. and Kerr, yeah. 10 years later, 12 years later, they're potentially all Hall of Famers, those mm. four right there. Um, I'm sorry for them that they didn't win another one. And it's because of that behaviour, if you want to call it tainted, which it probably is, cost them for. You know, you see what Geelong did post uh, from 2007 onwards. Um, I sometimes look at them and think, gee, that 06 Wistler side should have done that. Should have at least had a crack mm. at one more. Yep. But what happened to their number one player? Um, he's in the drug addiction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Chris Judd leaves. So you lose two Brownlow medalists within within a month. Mm. And uh, then the wheels just fell off.
0: You're a great player. There's no, no doubt about that. I mean, West Coast have acknowledged your contribution to the footy club and you're in the Hall of Fame, as you should be. It was... I can't say... I, I think I probably preferred to watch Alan at his best than you. Yeah, that's I fair to say, Because yeah. I had an affection for the, for yeah. the Dees and he was such a flamboyant player. But it's been a brilliant career. Congratulations. and Nice to see you. Thank
1: you, Mike. Thank you. This has been a Fox Footy production.
0: Just got a call from a bloke called K- Kerry, is it? Part of the Fox Sports Network.